social structures are complicated. Dating is like the interview period before marriage. Let me open up the world Rolodex and find a friend. We live in a society of hypocrites. I have the perfect partner to commit crime with. We decided that the government gets to resolve disputes. Contracts with no consequences might as well not exist. Philosophers. Philosophers. So, David, I have a topic for us this week. You do? I do. It comes from something that I contemplated this week. You so, contemplated this week? I did. I did some contemplating. Some contemplations were contemplated. Um, How meta. Yes, indeed. Uh, so the algorithm of the internet decided that it was very important for me this week to learn about marriage okay. and human relationships. Uh, granted, there are some more clickbaity reasons as to why, but it got me thinking more broadly about human relationships, dating, marriage, and the rituals that we place around them and... You and I often talk on the show about individuals in society. We sometimes we go into groups, but it's usually like we take the, the we take a broad abstract, you know, kind of view, and then we take like a narrow individual view, right? Mm -hmm. So the narrow view of human relationships, because I think this is something that you and I would agree on in general. My relationships, my business, leave me alone about it, mm -hmm. or leave us alone, our business. Yes. Right? And that's it. That's that's usually where it ends up, right? But funny thing about society and people and humans and civilizations, we don't like to just let people do what they want to do anyway. No, that would be too easy. That would be too easy. And social structures are complicated. And by that, I mean, like, we take obligations, for example. Remember when we discussed obligations? Once upon a time. Once upon a time. It may not have been the main topic of an episode. It may have I just think been it a was. side topic. It may have been. I don't remember. Um, we've been doing this for in excess of years now. Uh, yes. Just making sure it was multiple years. It felt like it, but I just wanted to. We're coming sure. up on four. Oh my god, I thought we were coming up on like two and a half. <laughs> Been at this for a minute. Um so say for example, you bear like let's think about some different examples of human relationships. There's the familial relationship, which I think was the main one we kind of discussed in obligations, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So why? Where do these things come from? You know, like I'm sure there are probably some familial obligations that you feel or that are kind of pseudo enforced on you. Maybe no. not by anybody, but no, not at all. No. Yeah. Okay. I'm a free man. You're a free man. <laughs> but uh, give me, let me give it to you this way. <laughs> right. All right. So I happen to know that you do spend some time with some of your family members. Yes. Quite that, often. In fact, quite often. In fact, that you do. And while you understand that, you, let me put it this way, do you willingly choose in the vacuum of all things 
to interact with your family every time that you do. Yep. And in no way, your decision to interact is influenced at all by the fact that you're, you're they're your family. Not by the mere fact. Like, there, there's some other, like, things that correlate with the fact that they're my family. Namely, that I know them very well. I have known them for most of my life. Right. Um, and so I, I have a general idea of what to expect from them. Um, but yeah, pretty much, uh, the only time I like the, the only type of interaction you might say is involuntary between us is a phone call. And even then I can choose not to answer it. And sometimes I do choose not to answer it. Mm -hmm. Um, so no, I interact with my family because I want to. Right. Why do you want to? I don't know. Well, I mean, like you said earlier, you know them. Sure. Pretty well. Right. Yeah. Now I'm sure that you know know them and. Some of them I like to be around. Sure. And this is something I've gone through as well. There are certain family members that I am more fond of than others. Mm-hmm. I think most like, people can relate like with to any that. group of people, probably. Right. However, you did not get to choose how familiar you were with your parents or your family in general. No. Earlier in life. A strange moment will, I think, occur... Where there are those that you've spent more time with than your family, if it hasn't already. And that's something that a lot of people go through, but it's weird because it's delayed by quite a bit. Yeah. Because, I mean, think about it like this. I left home when I was 18. So, for 18 years, I lived in the same domicile as my parents. Right. So, I saw them every day for varying amounts of time. But every day. Right. And in total, you probably spent more than half of that time around your parents. Right. Now, I'm also married. Mm -hmm. Okay. When my marriage reaches 18 years, a little less than that, there's now a person who I've spent more time with than my family that I did choose to spend that time with. Yes. Right. And that's interesting. And granted, I spend way more time with my spouse than I do with my than I did with my family towards the latter years of adulthood. And I don't know if you can count years precognition really as a child. I mean, they do matter, but to what degree? I'm sure you'd have to come up with some number. Mm-hmm. The point I'm trying to get at though is is that while you do get to choose things like whether or not you want to see a particular family member, right? You didn't get to choose the reason why you even bother, you know? And I think it's a pretty bold statement to say, would, would, would be a bold statement to say that, and this is not to you specifically, but I think there are some people that feel this way, that their family are their favorite people to be around. Or that if they had the choice to be around any human being at any time, or any human being that they knew even, mm-hmm. How often would they actually see their family? And how would that make them feel, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, in that cross-section of things, it lies the underlying obligation, right? And granted, there are these things where it's not like anyone... Well, I mean, in this case, people actually did force you to do it because you were growing up. But there are also plenty of interactions that no one really forced you into because you'd bump into people all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, you and I, when we first met met because of a confluence of our choices, but we didn't sign up to, like, 
you know, meet each other when we did. Right. We did not interview each other and decide whether we're going to work together or anything like that. Right. Or, or like come into this circumstances under which we, we met each other. No. There was no selection process. I did not get to see a list of faces to pick. And Right. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me open up the world Rolodex and find a friend. Like, that did not happen, you know, like, uh, or someone to interact with, you know. By the uh, way, you're old for knowing what a Rolodex is. Anyway, uh, yeah, call me what, yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> but it's still a useful phrase. It's a very useful thing, too, because it means something more, I think, than just a collection of information. Anyway, not the point. Um, it's a collection of information that spins. Anyway, go on. <laughs> Not just spins, but like it informs you to some degree about what... It's summary information. Mm -hmm. Quickly accessible summary information is what you store in a Rolodex. Usually by some ordered system. Anyway. If you don't know what a Rolodex is and you're confused, ask your Just look ask, up Rolodex. Ask your parents. <laughs> Actually, in this case, you may not even be able to. You might have just grandparents. Or look it up. Yeah, use use the use the device you're probably listening to this on, and go look it up. What what slight tangent? One of my favorite things when going back and watching uh, old. Okay, it it is it is a hobby of mine occasionally to go back and watch old footage of people discussing technology as it comes out. Um, okay, so the, the videos jump to mind, but go on. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, one of my favorite old shows is the Computer Chronicles, which most of that show's time was in the 80s during like the height of the computer revolution. Um, and a a common like a common program that would come with an office suite, and they would they would advertise it as such a digital Rolodex, um, not a contacts list, digital, a digital Rolodex, Rolodex. A because digitex. that's that's the term people were more familiar with. Is yeah. Rolodex than contacts list. That is interesting. Or address book or whatever. Anyway, in, in tangent. In tangent. Anyway, so <clears throat> that got me to thinking about other human relationships in a nutshell. Let's wind all the way back into where we started. So the particular headline that I saw this week, which by the way is not the subject of this video because we don't like to cover things that are necessarily topical. Want well, to be somewhat timely. Um, some people are of the opinion that no-fault divorce should be eliminated and that divorce should have to have fault okay. involved. So let's set the groundwork. What is no-fault divorce? I'm sure that most of the listeners probably understand what divorce is, but some people may not understand what no-fault divorce is. Right. So a no-fault divorce is a divorce for any reason. No party of the marriage has to be at fault of something. Right. And you... Can you briefly state what a fault like what the, what did you what would you have in the event that you didn't have no fault divorce? Uh, the most obvious fault is adultery. Okay. Um, I others are not readily springing to mind, but I can like that 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 would be the number one thing where it's like you have violated the reason that we got married, so we should divorce now. Right and. Are you familiar with like brief? I, I did look a bit into. I this. guess I guess like physical abuse might be another thing. Sure. If your if your partner is physically abusive, then yeah, I got to get the heck out of here for safety. Yeah. yeah. Um. So are you familiar with the history of the? First of all, let's just call marriage what it is. Marriage is, in the modern day in the United States and in most of the West, both a is like it's both a societal 
institution slash ritual and a legal one. It's both in this case, um, which isn't that strange when you think about it. I mean, I think a lot of things that were kind of cultural rituals ended up somehow with the legal representation. You know, when you think of mm-hmm. anything else, for example, like th- think about all the laws around childbearing now. Mm-hmm. That just used to be something that people just did. And now there's like rules around it based on what what we've, the people did and decided was best. Yeah. Yeah. We decided. Uh, we decided. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. And this is a question that got asked a bunch about a decade ago. Um, and what what is marriage? What is it like in the West? Like if you had to define what that arrangement between two people was, what actually is it? A contract, technically. Technically, okay. That's the legal. Yes. Before the legal, what is it? It's a commitment between two people. I mean, I like the the most the most it seems to me universal characteristic of a message is of a message, a marriage. Um is a, a a commitment between two people to be like sexually exclusive. Okay. Even though that's even that is not really always the case in married couples. Like there are some couples that agree not to be sexually exclusive but still become married for reasons. Sure. Although I imagine that's for more legal reasons, like other legal conveniences that come with marriage. Right. So What's the difference between that and dating? Or what is dating? And why are they different? Like, if you compare and contrast the two, what's the difference? Dating is like the interview period before marriage. Well, in the traditional Western lifestyle. Right. So, it's essentially... You're trying somebody out before you buy. Um... <laughs> yeah, it's the less committal version Right, right. Um, although, it, so that that in a nutshell is that is the difference, right? The argument for and and so I think that's where the argument for like a no fault divorce comes from is that marriage is both a contract, but the contract is both legal and social. Like the mm-hmm. idea, because that's how marriage was in some ways, and, I, and I'm sure that this is expressed very differently in a bunch of different cultures. Certainly, I understand that. I'm talking about in the West right now. But either way, why do we even give it a different name? It's because we're trying to describe a different particular arrangement between two or more people. Mm-hmm. Typically, like we become the names of all sorts of things. Like if you just see two people talking to each other. And you did not know how they knew each other. Because we're a social species, we put a lot of time into dedicating a ton of categories that define what is considered acceptable and unacceptable interaction given your particular arrangement, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just take a moment and let's think about what are the different ways you can describe. Like, if I said there are the, those two people over there. They're talking and you look at me and you don't know them, but I know them. And you ask me, hey, who are those people? And I would say, oh, that's so-and-so and so-and-so. And they are blank. What are the many different, like, 
what are the, the ways I could describe that pair of people? Like, just jump to your head right now. Siblings. Siblings. Uh various familial relationships yeah there's a bunch of different familial ones that there's a sub right whole yeah so there's familial and that whole family no pun mm-hmm. intended arrangements okay friends friends uh co-workers co-workers um i think if you had to bring it into taxonomy you could maybe say there's familial there's professional and then there's I don't know if you want to use the phrase pure social, but it's like by voluntary relationship where both people have agreed to mm-hmm. enter into some sort of association. I, I, I thought of another funny one uh, that doesn't align with the, I see two people over there talking to each other, but I was going to say bitter rivals. Um, it could be, but they could be. Yeah. <laughs> but as far as the pure social, like, I could use the words, oh, they're acquaintances, which is the most generic way to describe two people that know of each other, I think. Right. I think I would reserve that for having, like, they've at least met each other. Well, if they're talking, obviously. Well, obviously, if they're talking, yes. Yeah, but but if I were to say... Like, like, if I've learned your name, then we are acquaintances. Yes, we have met and probably interacted at least once. That's all it takes to be an acquaintance, really. You go from acquaintances to probably being familiar, which is not familial, but you right. you you are there's an acquaintance that you know better than having met once. To there's all the various ways that you could have met and interact frequently. Coworkers, you're both members of a club, which or an association. Right. Associates is a way you could refer mm-hmm. to that. Um. And we even have, that's a good one because it's like, oh, they're business associates. They're, oh, uh, collegiate associates. Are they're, they go to school together. Like, like right. we, we do a lot of that, actually. We define how they met to kind of give context. And that tells you somehow a lot about how those people know each other. And a lot of this, I feel like, sounds obvious. But it, when you really start trying to list out all the ways that you can interact with someone and all of these, like, subtle social enforcements not necessarily enforcements, but like social kind of expectations that come with each of these. It's actually interestingly complicated. Like for example, you're, I tried to get an insight into your family situation, which I don't think is necessarily um, common, frankly, after having interviewed you about it. But for example, if, 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 <clears throat> if you tell me like, Oh, tomorrow's my mother's birthday. Mm-hmm. And I said, Oh, are you, good for, good for you are you gonna wish her happy birthday and you said no most people i feel like would go that's strange why would you not do that right you You're, must hate her for some reason you must hate her yeah, yeah. N- it's not that you don't feel like it it's oh you there you, you have to have a reason not to which yeah. is weird because normally we ask for reasons why but in this case there's an assumed reason why and now you have to give a reason why not in this mm-hmm. case right yes um similar thing if you are in a romantic relationship with somebody of almost any stripe, any stripe of romance, whatever you call, whatever that means to you, there's a day on February 14th that we kind of reserve to celebrate romance in general. Mm -hmm. And it is customary to purchase a gift on that day for your romantic partner because reasons. Yeah, sure. Because we decided. Yeah. And how else are we going to sell heart shaped stuff? 
Right. We have it all lying around here. We and painted charge red. way too much for stuff we picked out of the dirt. We um, had to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Flower sales are need to happen somehow, you know, but, but that's a thing. It's a traditional, like it's a thing that you do. Right. So if you, like, if I come to you and say, Hey, I didn't get my wife anything for Valentine's day. Even if you didn't know me and my relationship with my wife, like if I said that to the store clerk on February 15th, buying flowers, they would understand that it's, they, they would safely assume in a lot of cases, Oh, you're in trouble. Yes. You violated some kind of social faux pas or taboo, a very yes. minor taboo, but still you did a bad, you know? Um, so why does all this matter? This matters because I think what's interesting to me is how we, is when we cross that barrier of these are things that we kind of all socially agree on. And when I say we all, I mean, mainly people in different communities, because these also differ by place, right? The biggest example is that, you know, celebrating a country's independence. If you see me, if it's July 4th in the United States and you go outside and see a bunch of people in red, white, and blue attire, that's not that weird to you. Mm -hmm. You're like, well, that's just what you do. But if you did that in Germany, people would be really, really confused why you're dressing in a bunch of American patriotic regalia on a particular day. Because they may not happen to know that's when American right, independence They may not was. know the significance of the day at all. Yeah. Right. And that's, the that's I think, illustrates my point to a degree is that the significance of some ritual usually is relegated to the people who observe that ritual. Yes. You know, for example, I can burn a book and a lot of people would be somewhat taken aback by that. They'd be like, that's kind of weird. Um, kind of wrong. Cause there's mm -hmm. a lot of signifiers as to why that's wrong. Yeah. But, but if you're in a society that didn't even have books and you can't read, it's just tinder to you. Right? right. It just burns good. That's why I'm using it. But if I burn a Bible, there's a particular group of people that place an odd importance on that book. I don't know if it's odd, but yeah. Okay. Odd to a non odd to someone who doesn't have religious texts, for example. Right. Okay. And that's the thing. Like it's burning of symbols gets most people can understand that. Like even very tribal people could probably understand the significance of burning a symbol. Mm -hmm. It's seen as wrong. It's like, you know, but only people in that group would take a particular I don't offense. know if it's necessarily seen as wrong, but it's seen as offensive to whoever, who, whoever symbol that is. Maybe, but even then in times of war, we intentionally didn't go after symbols of certain people's culture. For example, for a long time in wars, you just didn't burn down like historic places of historical significance. You just don't sure. do that. Like, and it's because it's a symbol. Like, it's not just because it's old. There could be a house that's a thousand years old. You'd yeah, but burn I mean, it down. I'm thinking like, okay, you win a battle, you take the enemy's flag and burn it. Sure, but that's just a, that's fair. You're destroying a symbol. That's true. It dep I guess in my case, with like the historical building, there's only one of them. That's just why it's such an important thing. Right. Fair enough. But still, it's it, it communicates a different message than just, I'm just burning this because it's in my way. It's like, no, I'm intentionally burning this to send a message, to prove a point, either to my side of victory and showing how we consumed the enemy, which is good, or to my enemy to show them what I think of them, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, and what they stand for.
right? And that's usually, I think, how it would be taken. If I was burning a Bible in the street and someone who was a Christian saw me doing that, the reason they would feel personally, you know, offended has, I think, a little bit less to do with the fact that because that Bible's not unique, there's more of those books than almost any other book right? in print. Right, you're not destroying something of material value, really. No, like but... Like, it's not scarce, yeah. But they, but they would... But it has a very high symbolic value to them. Yeah. yeah, and it's almost me communicating what I think about their religion, which even if it's true, it's more than just saying it. Like, I could tell someone what I think in a lot of words about their religion, for example, mm-hmm. but if I were to burn the book, that says a lot more than just the words I might choose about it. And right. not only that... Here, here's what I think about your book, yeah. And not only that, but that's an act. Yes. I, I'm not wanting to have a discussion with you about it. We're, we're beyond discussion. We're into action now. Right. And yeah, yeah. You're you're beyond. I want to destroy this too. I am actually destroying this now. Exactly. Yeah. So we went off on a weird tangent. We about did symbols. That was interesting. But back to the beginning of this. Um, the significance of relationships. Okay, that's where we are. So we're back to codifying into the physical things that are social arrangements based on your area. That's it. That's where we got off this. That's where we got off on this tangent of is depending on your relation to that symbol and your opinions about that symbol and how sacred or not you hold that symbol will all determine how you feel about that particular thing. Okay, cool. We're there. So what marriage means to different groups of people. Marriage is also additionally complicated because it's usually a tied to religion. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, most people, or at least around here or when I grew up, if you got married, a very suitable place to get married was a church. It's pretty common. Yes. Even for people who are not particularly religious. That's just where you go to do that. That's just where you go. And you also get an officiant who is usually a religious person, a, right. a clergyman of some type. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So now you have this extra layer of it's you and the person and your particular arrangement, like the social interaction that you have, you are both agreeing to enter into some type of understanding, right? And if that was all it was, weddings wouldn't be a thing. We wouldn't need, people would not need to get wed in that way. You would just go to the person and say, hey, how would you feel about arranging ourselves into the following arrangement? And it would probably be a lot more romantic than that. <laughs> but but you would essentially propose... I have a proposition. I have a... Yeah. Uh, this is what I would like to do. And this is how I would like for us to interact for the foreseeable future. Uh, or not even for the foreseeable future. For the future. Right. In the case of marriage, in a lot of cases. And the other person would think about it and agree. Then, but we don't do that. Most people don't just get married on the spot. There's the, okay, now that we have decided to do this, because hear me out, two people could just decide to live the exact same way a traditionally married couple could. Without getting married. Without getting married. You could just do that if you want to. Mm-hmm. Why don't they? Why Why do we bother with the pomp and the circumstance? I don't know to feel good about ourselves. You think so? Social status. Maybe. I think it has more to do with enforcement. Mm-hmm. Good example. What's another... Okay, we both grew up in a pretty religious place. What's the significance of a baptism? 
Why does that exist? You grew up it's, religious. It's, yes, it's the it's the ritual of commitment. Yeah, but there's some specifics around it, right? Why can't you baptize yourself? Because you can't. Right. Why not? People have to witness it. Why? Reasons. Not just reasons. I think there's some pretty obvious reasons. It's like a promise. Yeah. And if you go back on that promise, everybody who saw you do that thing will think of you as a hypocrite. Shame. And, and not only shame because we all know, but shame because we made this a special thing for you. We showed up and put in effort to be here to watch you do something that in any other circumstance we would call a bath. And not even a particularly good one. And not even a particularly good one. But because we called it this and we all showed up and the particular special person did the thing and said some words. Now, if you don't do this, it's like spitting and you broke a promise. That's what it's like. And not only did you break a promise, you promised everybody in the room. You know what I mean? And even though I know that that's not inherently the point of a baptism as it's like written in the Bible, that kind of, I think, is what serves the purpose, though. And I think that's why we get married and we have weddings. Because who do you invite to the wedding? Who are the like people that almost always get invited? Families are almost always invited. And it's not just because I think you just happen to know them. It's because they're the people most invested in you and your well-being. And they're the ones that you're most likely going to go to if anything were to go wrong in your marriage. They're going to have your back. And then you invite their family because they're the witnesses. They're the ones there while the contract gets signed that they're like, okay, we're here. We all know the terms of the contract. We're here to make sure that the terms get met. And originally, that's why there wasn't such a thing as no-fault divorce. It was like, well, that's not in the contract. There is no... Unless, because you unless feel we decide like it. not to, yeah. Unless we decide not to, no. I mean, in most people, if you take the standard vows that a lot of people use, it's till death do you part, period. Like, most people don't even exchange the promise with, unless you cheat on me or I die, <laughs> we'll always be doing the following arrangement. Like, we don't even say the most common reason I feel like marriages end if you had no-fault divorce. Mm -hmm. But it's implied by... We, we, I guess we do say it. In the, I'm it's been, almost like we live in a society of hypocrites. <laughs> yeah. Um, interesting. But back to no-fault divorce. Why is this so important? And why do is it that I kind of maybe think that it's a good idea to take no-fault divorce off the table? I think there's a couple reasons for this. I would assume you disagree because... Freedom. Freedom. Fair enough. Um, also, most contracts have a termination clause, but go on. Well, so does fault divorce. Yes. There are terms. But also many contracts can have a termination clause that is, we decided we don't want to do this anymore. Sure. And I don't think that there's an issue with doing that. To your point, okay, before, let's back up a little bit. I agree with you on that. I think that most people go into marriage with the best of intentions and don't ever consider the possibility of it going wrong. Mm -hmm. Because that's a very human thing to do. It'll be fine. I'll deal with it it's when I It's been fine so far. It. It's been fine so far. And here comes that inductive reasoning, which sometimes uh, ain't right. Yeah. And we even do this with other contracts that are like more common. Oh, you are going to pay me to live here. 
a lease. You're going to pay me to live here for one year. You're going to pay this much a month. Okay. Oh no, I have four months until my lease is up, but I found a place I'd rather live. I'll just leave. Because I want to now. <laughs> Even though eight months ago I said I would pay for a year. And everyone's like, well, you can't do that. You signed a contract. Okay. But I ain't gonna, so... What are you gonna do about it? What are you gonna do about it? And the truth is, there's not a whole lot that gets done about it. It's like, well, I'm keeping your deposit. Fair. Cool. That's probably one month's worth of rent. Cool. I'll pay the extra... Well, I'll just not get that money back, and that's fine. Um, so, most people... Don't think about contracts before they sign them. I would be willing to wager that most people, another good example of contracts, not necessarily, well, yeah, it is a contract people sign all the time. Terms of use. Yes. Terms of service, TOS. I would be willing to bet you that less than 0.11% or 0.000001% of people who ever, of the times that people accept the terms Click of service. the I agree button. Actually uh, agree and much less uh, read. Uh, yeah. And... They have no clue about the legal ramifications of doing so until it's important to know the legal ramifications of doing so. Yeah, until they feel betrayed because the service provider did something that is totally allowable within the terms. Yep. Exactly. So, if people did not be this way, I would absolutely be opposed to no-fault divorce. My problem is that people are not this way and people are dumb and sign contracts. And second thing why I see it's a problem and that if it weren't this way, and I think you'd agree with me on this, I wouldn't care if it wasn't legal. If it wasn't a legal ordeal. I'm of the opinion that it the government should stay out of marriage in general and mm -hmm. all human to human relationships in general. Because why do you care? Get out. Like, like, this is between this person and this person. Get out. But it's not that way. Like you said earlier, people might decide to get married for legal reasons. Mm -hmm. There's some really good legal reasons to get married. I have the perfect partner to commit crime with that cannot be compelled to contestify against me in court of law. That's pretty interesting. That's one of the most interesting exceptions to that rule is, oh, but you're married, so... Yes, never mind. Isn't that kind of weird? Mm-hmm. Um, so, word to the wise, if you're going to commit a crime, marry your marry your partner in crime, at least for a little bit. Um, also, there are massive financial incentives from the theft department as to why you would want to get married. Um, if, again, so, hear me out on this one. Why would I not get married if I'm 21 years old and I find someone else who's in a similar situation where it's like, we could save thousands of dollars a year by literally signing a piece of paper that costs $30. Because that's how much it would cost on average to get a marriage license. It costs like 30 bucks. And you can dissolve it for free as long as it's no contest, right? Right. And the prenuptial agreement to file could cost like an additional $30 if you go through an online site, which pretty much just says, because the same, you know, and for those of you who don't know, a prenuptial agreement is in a contract on a contract, which is essentially like an addendum to the marriage contract to say that in the event of a divorce, 
it's not actually till death do you part because we're acknowledging that divorces exist but in that in the event of that case here's the bunch of stipulations as to how it's going to go down right because my problem is not so much with marriage as it is the way divorces are handled right um and because it's a legal contract i'll just come out and say the thing that i nitpick about i hate this idea i hate alimony i think it's stupid Mm. i think it's real dumb i'll stop burying the lead I think it's real stupid that two people can decide we're going to get married and live together. And then when it's over, if you and I decided to live together and be roommates and we decided we didn't want to be roommates anymore, we would just find different places to live. Right. One or both of us can just move out. Yeah. Right. Um, The literal only difference, and we could have gotten married to do this as well if we wanted to save a little money. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, If we did that and then all of a sudden a few years down the road, it's like, all right, you know what? Actually, I kind of want to move it on my own and, do my own thing. Mm-hmm. You could actually just tell me no and ask the government to take like half my stuff or half of our stuff. And if we're not even contributors, whoever's on the lower end of the agreement ends up having to pay, g- gets paid. Mm-hmm. I get why it exists. I understand the history of why this is a thing, but I hate it now because it's dumb. And that's why I think no fault divorce should not should be a thing, <laughs> should not be a thing because it's not no fault. It's not treated that way when it's over. There are stakes in getting divorced mm-hmm. that no one sees going in because they're dumb, which hear me out. This whole problem is created by the fact that we have all these other institutions built around it as well. And I would, I would suggest the actual solution to the problem is to get rid of alimony, get rid of divorce settlements that way. Yes. Force it to be predefined or you just have to show proof that you bought it or you earned the money for it. Or at the very least, argue over the crap that you already have, but after that, it's over. You split the stuff you have and then move on. You, and like, Do you know what alimony is? Alimony is an entitlement to a standard of living in a nutshell. Mm. Good example. If you and I got married and you made half what I made, the assumption is that because we're married, you take the sum of what we make and split it evenly, right? Lol. Lol. So now you've grown accustomed to a certain standard of income or living. I, and here's the just genius amazing wonderful part of no fault divorce either one of us could decide nah i'm out and then during the divorce proceedings you would you would go say well i was used to getting my half the sum total half every month that's what i've grown accustomed to i have expenses i have a car that i could not have afforded by myself i have a home that i could not have afforded if it weren't for us being together And I don't want to have to sell all that off just because we're getting divorced. Ergo, de facto... You owe me. You owe me whatever the difference is. You owe me up to what I make, up to the half of the sum of what we made for years. Right. Until I get married again or some time expires. And it's a very long adjustment period. 
This reminds me of a certain uh, Dr. Phil episode. Tell me about it. I've been talking for a while. I don't want to rant too much. We we have briefly talked about this Dr. Phil episode recently, actually. Uh, this is the one where the uh, like this teenage girl comes in and she's upset that her uh, mother's taken away her allowance. Um, yeah. Or, no, no, no. Was it that she... I don't remember if it was she was taking away the allowance or just like wouldn't increase the allowance. I think I think it was that she wouldn't increase the allowance. Um something like that. Anyway, she she was upset that she was not going to get like I don't know, like 1 to 2000 dollars a month allowance from her mother. And uh Dr. Phil very uh basedly is that is that a word can you say that without sounding old? Um No, I think that's still lit. Go on. Um <laughs> said uh <laughs> Uh, told her to get a job. Um, she began to cry. And she began to cry. And the whole audience pointed and laughed at her as she was faced with reality. Yeah, but hear me out. In the real world, though, if she was married and said that she deserved an allowance, a judge would order her now ex-husband to pay it. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, get that out of here. Ooh. Yeah, I hate it. But for whatever reason... And don't be wrong, like that that's my true position. But in the circumstances in which I live, that is not on the table. Convince for whatever reason, convincing a roughly 50% of this population, because hear me out, it is 50%, not because 50% male, 50% female, because half of you have to be making more than the other half. It's just how it is. So the half of you that would be entering into these arrangements that don't want to lose the other half of your crap are incentivized to get rid of this hot garbage. (laughs) But we don't for some reason. (laughs) So in lieu of that, and maybe, you know, it's a bad idea to stack a bad idea on top of a bad idea. But in lieu of that, if I could garner enough support and be a part of enough support to get rid of the, well, I can just leave for any reason. Cause that's the real thing that grinds my gears. I can understand that. Like if a man and a woman were married and one of them cheats and then, but the person who cheated, which is again, the one of the largest reasons for divorce. If that person also just happened to be the person who made less money, then alimony feels really messed up. It's like salt in the wound. Mm-hmm. However, if it's the person who made more money, the alimony almost feels like some kind of retribution. Yes. I feel that, you know. Um, But that's the whole point of the no-fault divorce, of the fault divorce, is that the person who claimed fault can actually argue that and argue for alimony. In that case, I'm fine with it. If you violated the terms of the contract... Right. I don't owe you anything because you are on the wrong end of this. Yeah. Right. But if I violate the contract and I'm in a position to, I owe you even though maybe that's the most expensive one night stand that person ever had or the most expensive affair they ever had. I hope it was good. Hope it was great, my guy or my gal. But you got yourself into this because you cannot commit to a contract. And I I, I think that the net outcome of this would be is that you would see fewer people getting married, which Mm -hmm. you already see. And I'm okay with that. As a married person, I'm A-okay with fewer people getting married because to me, and I'm biased. I'll just come out and say, as a married person, I'm biased. I hold the institution of marriage in very high regard because I'm in it. I signed up for it. I want it to be this way. And I want, and I think that it should be reflected this way. And I understand that I'm talking just like someone who might be religious that says we should teach the Ten Commandments in schools, right? 
Difference is, I compel people to go to school. I'm not compelling anyone to get married in this case. And, and I would also agree with taking away the tax incentives for it as well. That's also fine. Like, I think that in general, social agreements and institutions, wait, there's nothing wrong with setting a stratification of different ways that we classify how people interact. I just think at some point, though, there has to be some kind of factual basis and backing for some of these things. And if it's a, an agreement and a contract, there needs to be consequences because con because contracts with no consequences might as well not exist. You know, like if I said, I'm going to lend you a thousand dollars and you're supposed to pay me back a hundred dollars a month for 10 months or for 12 months because of interest. B but if you don't, that's fine. Then why would you ever pay me back? If there's zero consequences. Right. Only because I want to. Uh, yeah. Which if there were actually zero consequences, like I wouldn't even be mad if you didn't. Why would you? It's a gift at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm sorry, but I don't think that some of these things should be gifts. I think they should actually be contracts and commitments. You know, and if you don't want that, then that's fine. Don't enter into don't that agreement. That's fine with me. You know, stop making a mockery of an institution that I particularly like to benefit from and enjoy because it means something to me. And I, and yeah, I know it's a bit personal for me. I'll, I'll admit part of it's personal, but I also think it's a deeper rooted issue with society in general that a society that does not actually uphold commitments is a worse off society that, that does. I'm sure there's extremes on both end that are terrible, but I would err on the side of, commitments being upheld personally i think that contracts need to have enforcement to have value and otherwise why sign contracts and without contracts you enter a lot of instability you know like what do you, what do you think maybe because i'm too close to this I, I want your opinion because i i read that art several articles about it and i actually got well that boy was a storming you know <laughs> and felt pretty upset spaghetti about it <laughs> upset spaghetti yes uh, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of said it earlier. I think it's just a, a mutual termination clause in the contract. Mm. But I think that, mm, yeah, I, I definitely think that there should be, well, okay. I, I'm also on board with, there should be no such thing as alimony at all. Um, but even if there were, then a no fault divorce should completely waive that. It should be a totally mutual agreement. We don't want to do this anymore. Nullify all terms of the contract, mm -hmm. including consequences. And what about... I don't know. I, I guess the other thing to me, though, is like... what? It, what let's open it up a little bit more broadly about the commitments in general. Like, not just... doesn't even have to be just marriage, either. Um, it could be any kind of a commitment and agreement. Um, in most cases, you're right. Like, in the example of a lease, if both parties agree to terminate the lease, you just dissolve the term, the contract. Mm -hmm. It's fine. In most contracts, though, there's usually incentives for both parties there's incentives on both sides that under the initial circumstances of the contract being signed that incentivize both people to sign the contract, right? Mm -hmm. Like in the case of a lease, the lessee wants a place to live. Yes. And the leaser, I don't know if that's the right term. The landlord. The landlord, whomever, 
wants to get paid wants money yeah okay so the landlord is continued is incentivized to continue that arrangement because he keeps getting money until there is more money to be made elsewhere right and this is and i think a lot of people miss the value of a lease in this way they just see a lease as a like slave contract uh-huh. to people who rent but no but no they can't just it kick also you out. It prevents the landlord from just kicking you out because you're not worth as much money as somebody else. Yeah, exactly. If it rates, gives you a term. You are entitled to stay here so long as you keep paying your rent for until the of term of this lease. Yeah. Yes. So you do benefit because it could happen that all of a sudden overnight, for whatever reason, a policy could have changed in the government that now makes that land three times more valuable or they discover something like oil under the ground. It would be so much more money to just kick everybody out and turn it into an oil field. Too bad. You agree. I'm living here for the next X months because you signed. Yeah. Unless you pay me, you, unless you provide me a new circumstance that is preferable. Right, yeah, if you want to give me some incentive to dissolve this contract with you, then we can do that. Yeah. Right. And then vice but if, versa. But if I don't get anything out of this, uh, no, I'll continue staying here and pay my rent. Yeah. Right. And then for you, the lessee who wants to move somewhere else, okay, well, that's a preferable circumstance. I'm willing to pay the get out of contract fee for this. And if you both agree, then sure, dissolve the contract. No yep. problem. No fo- no foul. You know. Um, and I, I'm okay with that being a thing in marriage to a degree. Um. I think the problem with that is that, and it may be no fault divorce. I don't know the exact terms around all of it. I'm sure it varies based on jurisdiction. Sure does as too. Everything like this does. What happens when only, because the other circumstance we're in is if I wanted to get divorced, but my spouse didn't, that becomes an arduous process. Yes. And it should be. Mm-hmm. Because you're trying to back out of the terms of a contract, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Notice I notice I did specifically say that a no fault divorce should be allowed so long as it is a uh, mutual dissolution of the contract, right? And I'm fine with that. If I'll, only I'll... if only one wants to leave, well, no, that is different. You agreed to the yeah. The contract truly does mean nothing if one can just choose to leave, right? Um, with, with no fault on the other party. Yeah, I think I don't know. I'm trying to work through in my head because in on paper, that sounds great to me. I just, I'm trying to imagine how that would play out. So like, imagine again, I know I keep saying you and I married just because it's easy to sure. think about. I want out and you say no. Okay. I will make it so that the scenario you're in is worse. Yeah. <laughs> I will ruin your life here. I will become the most insufferable person to live with. I will break our stuff until you let me out. And then because we both agree, we're good. Like, and to some degree, I'm okay with that because at the same time, I don't think that, mar- I don't think that marriage should become a prison. Right. Either. Um, I don't know. I, but at least then in the alimony case, if I wanted a divorce because you did something bad, but I also want your money, you'd actually have to prove it now. Mm-hmm. I think that's the big difference. As long as that was the set condition, which is like, I, you violated the terms of the agreement. Okay. Prove it. Cause the way it is kind of right now is that you just have to say they did, or you don't even have to give a reason. You just do. And then all the rest of it applies, mm-hmm. you know, 
There's another interesting thing that comes along with this, though, as we're getting close to time. But I think it's another interesting human interaction that kind of matters. Uh, parenthood. Mm, yes. So there's a second. It's not actually a contract this time in the legal sense yet. And it's kind of amazing to me that this has not become a legal thing necessarily. Um, but you can't, you do enter into a contract without signing anything when you have a child with somebody. Yes. You have rights to that child, whether you like them or not. Whether you choose to exercise them or not, you have the right as the parent. In fact, you have to give up those rights like on paper in order to no longer, or someone else has to go through the very arduous process of removing those rights from you, which mm-hmm. good. I agree. Um, what do you think about that whole situation? Well, as someone who's been part of that situation, yeah. Um, in some ways, hmm, I don't know. I have mixed feelings. So, in in some ways, it it's is complicated. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it is a complicated thing. Um, I mean, okay, like if we, uh, my perspective in this is from the child's position. Um, so, you know, this can, this can land a child in many awkward situations of like spending time with either parent on a, you know, like a, uh, a, like a a routine basis. Like, you know, some, sometimes they'll arrange it where you'd spend like a week with one parent, a week with the next or, or whatever. Sure. Um, my, my case was a, uh, particularly uh or yeah my, my case was a particularly simple one because uh one only one of my parents got full custody over me hmm. um which simplifies things uh a bit in terms of the arrangement there there's no there's no fighting over who like who's weak is it in that case right um so that that's less awkward but you know, at the same time, there, there, I've also seen, seen other cases where who I would consider the wrong parent gets full custody, mm-hmm. um, because trickery like that can happen. Yeah. Um, and I think that I think that's bad for everybody. Yeah, I I don't know, uh, and it, that's an interesting case because I I almost in some ways kind of wish that marriage assets were like that, but you'd still end up with the wrong decisions sometimes, mm-hmm. but. As long as it was just the assets, not the income, that'd be fine. And then I don't mean to necessarily belittle or like equivalent children to marriage as marital assets, although they can be treated. I mean, that they way. kind of are though. Yeah. Well, some cases, always marriage, but well, still. And also marriage liabilities, but anyway. <laughs> um. But yeah, no, it's an interesting thing in which the government does get involved because you need a mediator of some kind to mediate this dispute. Right. That yeah, that is a disputed thing. So now it becomes the government's business because we we decided that the government gets to resolve disputes. Yeah. yeah. We decided to give the person with the gun the right to decide disputes. So that way but, what could go wrong anyway? Well, but hear me on, it kind of makes sense. Sure. I mean, because you want the person who decides the dispute to also maybe not all also be the person who like ensures the execution of the decision, but it needs to be able to. But it needs to be able to or something needs to be able to. Um I think we can all agree on at least the logical effectiveness of that. Sure. 
You know, I mean, there's the age old argument of, you know, I know I'm living in your house, but what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> at the end of the day, someone's getting in the shotgun, you know, or whatever else, you know, um, and that's what we're trying to avoid is, well, I want my kid. You want our kid. Let's uh, duel. Let's duel. You know, <laughs> it's time to, <laughs> um, which arguably isn't fair if it's a physical duel ever probably not very seldom are two people ever physically equally matched like we go through a lot of work when we are trying to set up intentional fights between people there's a lot of rituals and measurements that go into and trying to ensure that it's fair before two people even begin um so i don't know I think at the high level, this really just got me thinking a lot about all of these things that we handled situations like this before government. Like these were things that had to be resolved before, Mm -hmm. but now they're more complicated because now there's a entity involved that depending on your perspective has either all the interest or no interest at all in any of these outcomes. Mm -hmm. And I think when it comes to like, societal expression it serves as this weird mechanism to essentially enforce societal wants you know and for example if you and i lived in a society in which the people in that society just decided there was no such thing as no fault divorce then there just isn't and it's enforced by the people who really want there not to be that thing Mm -hmm. like if me and my spouse wanted, if my, if my spouse wanted to get divorced and take half my stuff, it's not necessarily the government. It's everybody who would make that. It's everybody who it's would the enforcers, is, whoever that is. Right. And I don't know. Is that any more? I'm, I'm taking half your stuff. Okay. You and what army? Yeah. Right. Um, but that's kind of how it is right now with the government. The government just is the army. That, that, that army right there. Yeah. yeah that one. And, I don't know. I just, it also, I don't know. It, you know, I think my other biggest bone about it is now to think about it more. It's that when it's a supposed to be an unfeeling legal entity, mm-hmm. right? Cause that's what the government strives to be. Once it makes right. a decision, justice is blind. Or it's yeah, supposed to be It's supposed to be right. But it also is not supposed to change its mind. Yes. So I think that honestly is probably my biggest problem is that, well, decisions made, washing hands of it, we're done. We're not discussing it again because we're not going to keep entertaining this thing. Even if it's a obvious to everyone that a mistake was made because oftentimes the person executing the ruling isn't the same actual person as the person who made the decision. Mm -hmm. So the person who's making the decision doesn't have to actually consider or care about enforcing this. It's just assumed that it will be. And the person who's executing the outcome doesn't have to care about why they just assume that it was decided correctly. Right. Maybe that's my biggest problem with it. Because, although, and and not only that, but there's a built-in redundancy that 
if you're the like if you're the enforcer and even you look at the situation and go man i don't feel good about taking this person's stuff i don't want to well there's another enforcer right behind you that will get out of my way then i'll do it yeah and or not even but here's the thing they won't just be the ones to do it they'll come after you for not enforcing Mm -hmm. you know maybe that's my problem is that you have to enforcement should maybe be done on a volunteer basis so it doesn't actually matter what everyone decides if no one's actually going to do anything about it you know nothing happens maybe that's where my biggest bone is about it Mm. i don't know either way it just makes me feel extremely uncomfortable when people because even me and even i acknowledge that yeah one of the reasons i want this to be brought back as a legal thing you know i want to get rid of no fault divorce it's not actually because i want those situations to occur it's because I want people to stop doing something else. And this is just a way you can affect it by plate, like weighting the scales of the outcome, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't know. Like I said, it was, it was a mostly a lot of it. There was definitely a big emotional component for me this week and talking through it. And that's why I thought it was very important that we talk about it today because I maybe wasn't being the most rational about it and, but it still bothered me. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know. I think we should revisit not, this specific issue but judgment and enforcement and how they're separated is that good or bad maybe we need to talk more about that some other time because i feel like that was an interesting thing that would be worth it but i think we're about out of time for today who knows who knows what the future might hold yes philosophers philosophers If you like the music in this episode, please check out Jippy on Bandcamp at jippy.bandcamp.com. Philosophers is supported by viewers like you. If there's a topic you'd like us to discuss, or a topic you'd like to see revisited in the future, please let us know by contacting us using the methods in the description, or in the comments below. Thank you for listening.